Um, so no, you don't need money to make money. Um, I started my holster business with a hundred dollars. Wow. Never on. borrowed time until um, I sold. I, I did borrow a little bit on some equipment that I could have written a check for. Uh, it just made economic sense. But I started with a with a hundred dollars in cash flow, the whole thing all the way through tens of millions in revenue annually. So absolutely, you do not need money. What you need far more than money is motivation and belief that you're as good as anybody out there. Belief that you can you can go kill it and you know kill kill the the gazelle and drag it home that that you can actually do that and then the motivation get off the couch and go do it um i've seen internal workings as a, a business owner and ceo I, i've met other people and in, in in uh that are other business owners and things and you see the internal workings and um you realize that none of it's run by just super mad geniuses that made every decision perfect or uh people that have skills that, that none of the rest of us have it's not the case it's just somebody who had a good idea they followed through Thomas, you're a husband, you're a father, veteran, founder of Alien Gear Holsters, tons more. Thank you so much for your time and your service. I appreciate it. Yeah, th thank you. Uh, I'd like to go back a bit and start things off. Uh, where did you grow up? What was childhood like for you? Um, I grew up in uh, Arkansas, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and uh, uh, just a very, very humble beginning. Uh, we grew up very poor. Um, is actually a kind of a dysfunctional al alcoholic family. And uh, um, I, I remember, uh, you know, like a lot of times waking up hungry at night, actually like crying as a kid because I was hungry in the middle of the night. Mm. My, my stepfather would often sell a portion of the food stamps for, for whiskey and cigarettes. Oh my gosh. Food in the house. So um, that was kind of my upbringing and uh, uh, not very good schools and, and things like that. And so um, it, at 19, I joined the Air Force and uh, that it kind of started my actual career. Right. Well, then you ended up working literally like in a cave and you were tracking space debris or something like that, right? Well, tell me about what you're doing. What was that experience like? Yeah. So um, in the Air Force, I, I was uh, a computer and switching systems maintenance. And so um, I went to a base, NORAD. It's been in a lot of movies, actually quite famous. They, they hollowed out the inside of a mountain and um, uh, it was a, meant to withstand a nuclear attack. And so obviously at the time that was possible, but now it would just level it anyways. So for, they kept the base open just uh, uh, because it was cheap for a while. And but, uh, so that was fun. Seven years, it was basically uh, inside of a, a cave inside of a mountain I worked. Um, but we worked on the mainframes and my job was maintaining mainframes and servers that tracked all of the space debris, um, the space shuttle, which was flying at the time. Um, missile launches everywhere in the world and uh, radar intrusions. And so uh, that was primarily pre 9-11. And then uh, after 9-11, things obviously changed a lot. The radar, they didn't know what was going on internally with the terrorist plane. So then they started building in, um, a network that could see inside. And so I went up to uh, upstate New York to the Griffiths Air, Air Force Base, uh, Northeastern Air Defense Sector to uh, help integrate FAA computers with military computers so that there was that full picture for the first time. Okay. Wow. That's so interesting. The whole idea of Alien Gear holsters, it really started around 2010 for you. I think after, after this embarrassing moment at a Chuck E. Cheese parking lot, what happened in that moment? Yeah. So, you know, I was getting into the concealed carry uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I was having, uh, you know, I bought a nice gun and, and uh, nobody actually made a holster for that model. And so uh, 
I was using this cheap nylon holster. And then my, uh, my daughter actually went running across the parking lot and my gun just popped right out of that thing and then went sliding across the uh, pavement. So uh, um, that's when I knew I, I had to, had to do something better than that. And so um, there was nothing available for my gun. There were holsters I wanted that they just didn't make them for my specific model. Yeah. And so um, I, uh, I uh, made one or my wife had bought me one for a similar model that I actually modified the fit and it worked out really well. And then after that, I just uh, made another one. I bought a hundred dollars worth of uh, uh, some plastic and scrap leather and then uh, constructed my own. And, you know, it was pretty ugly, but it worked, it worked really well. Yeah. And just some friends started asking for them and uh, a cop friend of mine, another couple of guys at college. And um, I went to college a little later in life with my GI bill after I, I got back um, out of the service. So um, I just started trying to sell a few, put some in some shops that initially didn't sell at all. Um, I was having my best luck at the time on eBay before Amazon pretty much put them under. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so just different channels, I would, I would put ads on Craigslist and uh, um, people would come over to my house in the, in the living room watching the, the TV while I was in the kitchen making them a holster. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. How have you seen the holster industry change since you started in it? Oh, it's, it's changed dramatically. Yeah. Um, 10 years ago, concealed carry was not nearly as prolific and widespread uh, spread as it is today. Um, there were a lot of states that were just going that way for the first time that were even making it legal to conceal carry. And there were Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Court cases being um, decided that were uh, forcing a lot of states' hands on, on that sort of stuff. So um, it's, uh, there were far less competitors than there are now. Um, that, that was one benefit that I had when I started is I didn't have nearly the competition I have, have now. There was still competition. It's just it's a lot stronger now than it was then. So um, there's way, way more companies out there doing that. And in the designs, we've obviously really forced the design forward. And by doing so ourselves, everybody else sort of has to move their designs forward to try and keep up. Yep. So things yeah. 10 years ago were far less basic. I mean, we've got engineers that have been going nonstop for 10 years making this stuff. So, uh, I mean, initially it was, it was just me um, designing stuff, but we've got um, engineers who have been going nonstop for years and years and just keep pushing that boundary. I mean, even today, right now, uh, I was in R and D this morning and we got some cool stuff cooking up in there. So uh, we're just going to keep pushing those boundaries and so they, there's a lot more technology in holsters, even in the handguns as well, but in, in holsters than there were 10 years ago. I love it. Mine, I'm a huge fan of Alien Gear holsters. I, I carry the P320 with me every day and sits very comfortably on me due to you guys. So thank you so much for that. But you had mentioned that you tend to see a bump in sales during election years. How has this year been for you? It's the same. Yeah, we always see... Um, and no one knows who's going to win, what's going to happen. And yeah. so um, you do see those, those wins. Uh, people, when they think they, if you, it's a psychological thing. If you tell them they may not be able to have something, um, they're going to go buy a bunch of it, like toilet paper. Um, right. may not be able to get toilet paper. So what they do, they go buy like a five-year supply of toilet paper. And then I got none here, right? So right. very similar. <laughs> uh, you may not be able to get a hold of them. Well, 
instead of buying one, I'm going to buy eight. So right. that's kind of what you see. And then uh, they come to us for the holster. So we've had a, a good year. It's been a good year because of that. Hey, wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, starting with Rewebbed. They're a digital agency for the outdoor industry. They're actually building ericallenmedia.com right now. Go check them out at rewebbed.com. Combat flags. They make these American flags out of fatigues that are actually worn by soldiers. They provided me with this backdrop. They're an amazing company. They've donated over $80,000 to stop soldier suicide. Go check them out, combatflags.com. Alpha Outpost, they send you a box every single month of tactical tools and survival gear. You get knives like this, you can start for five bucks. Go check them out, alphaoutpost.com. That's awesome. I wanted to shift a little bit to the leadership side of stuff because I think the way that you do things at Alien Gear Holster that you spoke about was, is so intriguing to me. You know, when I saw you at the fireside chat, I thought um, it's really cool that, I mean, you kind of kept promoting the wrong people. And so you made some changes around the way that you promoted people and that you did things at Alien Gear Holster. What did you implement and what's that process look like? Well, um, like you said, your best worker is usually the guy that gets the promotion. So if you've got five people here doing the same job and somebody needs to be in charge, you pick the guy that's the best. Um, usually that person, th those are two different skill sets, being a good leader and being a good whatever widget maker. Those aren't the same skill sets. And just because somebody has one does not mean they'll have the other. Um, right. Somebody could be a great leader and be horrible if you plugged them in line, possibly. I, I wouldn't know, we, we hire from within, but um, <laughs> You know that you can't just take somebody who's great at making holsters and make them an, into a leader. And so um, what we had was um, after selecting the wrong person very clearly a few times, um, I decided to just let the, let the people make, make the choice themselves, the people that worked out there. Um, I figured they would know as well as me. And so we implemented, a, a, it was initially a temporary experiment that's been going for, oh, seven years now. And it's, it's still fantastic. We love it, never ended it. But um, so what we did was just said, you guys, you guys pick the supervisor and we changed the name from supervisor to mentor. And, uh, you guys pick the supervisor or the mentor and, um, 30 days, they get 30 days to be your, your new boss. And if you don't like them 30 days from now, you can vote somebody different. If you like them, vote them again. And so, um, we did that for a while with the 30 days. Now we've got a modified version um, it's where after three of the 30 day elections, then they get a 90 day and it's, you'll see like political push cards, like sticking on the bulletin board. And okay. like, <laughs> you know, it's awesome. Um, yeah. and we've seen, um, we've seen bad leaders get unelected mm -hmm. and we've seen, uh, we've seen good leaders get reelected for years, just never fall out. And we've seen bad leaders come back and say, Hey, everybody, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't do a good job. Uh, I promise I'll do better. Give me another shot. And then they give him another shot. And it's like, well, the guy, the guy is doing better now. He learned from his mistakes. And then, you know, in that case, that guy, a year later, I think he, he went back to his old habits and they fired him again. <laughs> but um, that's the beauty of it. And another thing too, is when I would demote somebody before, it's like, you know, I really want you to keep doing what you're doing before you were great at that. And, you know, you're not, not doing the greatest job as a leader. Um, that wasn't really an option. People get demoralized. It's like an insult to them. They, they quit. If they do stay, they have a really bad attitude uh, usually. Yeah. Um, what I've noticed in this system that we have, and we call it the mentor system, but in our mentor system, um, people can get unelected and then they don't get demoralized and, and leave necessarily. 
because it's not just when I would demote somebody, it was my boss is an idiot. You right. know, or uh, I didn't kiss his butt or something like that. Now yeah. it's coworkers don't believe you that you're the best man for the job or woman for the job. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's much easier to manage the, um, the, the expectations and the realities for the, the people too. Uh, being pre- and, and usually you don't see many demotions. Usually they stay pretty well. And we also have a, a wide diversity as well. So I think three out of our four value stream leaders are women. Mm-hmm. Or three out of five are women. And uh, we've got some older people, some younger people. Um, for a long time, uh, we had a kid that was like 18 years old was promoted. And, and he, you've got people who are sometimes only there like three months and they get promoted. And before, if I had promoted somebody who'd worked there three months, it's like, what the hell? I've been here for two years and you give this guy the job. We know that's not fair. Right. But now it's, uh, yeah, it's fair. He convinced people that he's worthy of that promotion and you didn't. So, um, so you get people who are really talented who haven't been there very long that can be promoted as well now. And so above the mentors, we have a position called value stream leader because we view the assembly lines and the production flow as a value stream. Um, the things add value to the, it's a stream that adds value for our customers and anything that's not adding value, we try to pull it out. It's, it's a lean uh, manufacturing sort of a, a, a term, but we, we call it a value stream and then we have value stream leaders and they can be in charge of, uh, at this point, a couple hundred people. Um, and so at one time that we have uh, five of those, now the mentors will hold um, an interview process. That's that it's it is an election, but it's preceded by an interview process. Mm. And I'm not in there. Um, the mentors just hold uh, hold an interview with the other whoever wants a mentor wants that promotion when that slot's available. They all kind of hold up their hands and and then they go for an interview process with their mentor peers. And let me tell you, they're a lot harder interviewers than I am. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> about asking some tough questions. Um, and so, uh, they've always done a really good job at that as well. Um, so uh, the only time we've had to sort of intervene in that process is when there have been, uh, some violations that, that requires, uh, requires some intervention from HR, um, something like that. So if, if something's happened with, with a mentor or a VSL or something where, where HR has had to get involved, those, that's a separate process that that um that it's out of our control you know we have to manage that so that's the only time that that any of those elections have been overruled or not overruled but you know later on overturned i guess yeah uh, an hr issue so it worked out really really well um we have much happier employees and very low turnover rate we do annual uh, anonymous uh ratings for everybody in the company gets to rate their supervisor anonymously every year and we found a couple of bad ones in there before um, outside of production. That system works really well in production because there's enough employees, but the smaller departments, you know, it doesn't really lend itself when there's four people in a department. Um, but what, so we, we do it more traditional in those departments. But what we have found is with the anonymous rating of the supervisors, we found some, some bad uh, leaders in there that we were able to uh, pull out of the position that they were in because of, of uh, um, just the feedback from the peers and so most most of your employees are going to leave the job because of their immediate supervisor that is by far the most likely cause for someone to leave your organization and what we found is uh um they chose their supervisors and they're very happy about that and uh um there's going to be a rub here or there but when we do our our surveys annually we find that 
we have a 90, over 90% um, engagement rate and satisfaction rate when nationally that's like in the thirties. Right. So we're, we're three times what the average uh, engagement rate is and uh, happiness. So um, it's worked out very, very well for us. And there are, um, there are some people who don't like it, but we also, um, you know, we would, we would get complaints. The system's not fair and nobody likes it. Well, okay, let's ask everybody. We do an anonymous survey and it's like, well, actually three out of four people love it. It's the one in four people who can't get elected that don't like it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one of the things I noticed on your guys' website too is you give back a ton of money to a variety of organizations like the Post Falls Boys and Girls Club. Why is it so important for you guys to give back? Well, we're part of the community and uh, that's just part of it. That's, uh, you know, without getting too religious or political or anything like that, that's just biblical. You know, you give, yeah. back, you give back to the community. They support us and, and we, we want to support as many as much as we can as well. Love it. Love it. And, and the last question here for you is I asked before at the fireside chat, but you know, it's such an awesome thing that you have, but you have success, you have money. What excites you now to keep going at this point? Kicking butt, man. Kicking uh, butt. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, bankrupt the competitors. Um, you know, I'm at work and uh, we're just looking at our competitors and saying, how can I bankrupt that guy? How can I bankrupt that guy? That guy found a little bit of a hole we didn't see. Let's let's fill that better than he did. Uh, I don't know, just doing stuff better than everybody else. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I have other other things I'm involved in as well, uh, some real estate investments. And it's the same thing there. It's how can I do this better than anybody else doing it? That's what's fun for me. Yeah, a few fun questions here. Uh, what's a favorite type of music or favorite band for you? Probably my favorite band is... Uh, Sounds stupid. Probably Guns N' Roses. Come on. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and being a, in the holster industry, what's a favorite gun for you to shoot? Oh, boy. It changes all the time. Okay. Um, to shoot, it, there's different to shoot, to carry, to look at. Those are different. Those are different answers. For sure. Um, my, the, my most often carried gun is this uh, Springfield 911. That might change next year. It seems to change a lot. It was a Kimber Micro 9 the year before. Okay. Um, Probably to shoot, Breda 92. Okay. Then, uh, I don't know why that's falling out of favor. It's like the best thing ever made, I think, for at the range. So I've got a really nice Wilson Combat version of that. Um, I'm I'm a recent fan of the uh, Sig 320. Really love that gun a lot. I've got the uh, X5 Legion, actually two of them. You, you double fisted. You're doing it right. Yeah. Uh, but that's I awesome. like how that's got uh, the uh, the red dots. They're starting to put in things. Uh, they're starting to make accommodations like the Hellcat and, and uh, the SIGs. I wasn't a fan of the red dot at first, but uh, I'm really starting to come around to that. So to shoot um, uh, for handguns, it'd be the SIG 320, Breda 92. And then uh, carry is, is uh, the Springfield 911 LCP a lot in the summer. The little $200 LCP one, not, not number two, but number one, that's, that's one of my favorites too. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I'm a, a 320 guy myself. Just picked up the, the SIG 365, I think is what it's called. Or, yeah, 365. Uh, yeah. So I just bought that for my wife. She loves that as well. But uh, last kind of entrepreneurial question for you. Does it take money to make money? No, no, heck no. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that people like my broke stepfather would say. <laughs> totally. you know, I, I was in the right place at the right time. That's a yeah. bunch of crap. Um, yeah. No, absolutely not. In fact, I've got a chunk of land. I'll just give one example. Some partners of mine, some friends of mine came to me with a, a real estate opportunity and they said, 
here, this thing's worth uh, probably a million two. And uh, you know, there's some situations that just lined up. If this thing's gonna get foreclosed on tomorrow, you can save this guy from foreclosure if you come in with 700,000 bucks. So um, I came in for 700,000 bucks with my partners. I sell them. Um, I'm selling them a bunch of the land back at a very discounted price. And then in the end, there was a bunch of land left over. And so, um, and I'm going to get to the no money part. Yeah. Um, so uh, we kept that <clears throat> in, internal in our group. And now we're developing that and we're making money off that. So the no money part is um, I didn't actually pay any money for that. I got a loan for 70% of that. And then I have a line of credit that I used for the other 30%. I don't have a dime. The loans are all paid back now. I didn't use a dime of my money. And uh, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit there. Now, you do have to have some net worth in order to have a line of credit sitting there because it's based off of some net worth I've got. And, you know, rather than me going to sell stocks and all that, I can just use this line of credit and it's kind of collateralized against some stocks or something like that. Yeah. But I do know people who um, are buying properties and houses with zero money. Um, I know a guy in, in Spokane, he bought uh, a duplex and a triplex and he came to me and borrowed the money. He didn't have a dime. He just contacted the person says, do you want to sell this? And they negotiated the price. And he came to me and he says, Thomas, this is a great price. I will give you a 12% return. Um, if you loan me the money to buy this. So I loaned him the money. I got a 12% return. He didn't have any money on it. Now he's selling, he's going to make 300 grand on it. Um, well, <laughs> and ask if they would sell him the property at a price. And then, um, at the same time, he could have just taken that contract and done it, uh, and or signs, which means, you know, sell it to me, John, John Doe and or signs. And then you get the contract, you go sell that to an investor. If you're able to negotiate a great price on a building, especially in a market like this, a house, anything, just go negotiate a great price on something, put the contract and or signs, take that to an investor. And trust me, they're out there and easy to find. Um, so take that to an investor and say, Hey, I'll sell you this contract for 20 grand, 50 grand, whatever. I've literally bought contracts from other people for $60,000 on a single family host or house because they got a good deal on it. I'm getting a good deal. I don't care. He's making 60 grand. Um, so no, you don't need money to make money. Um, I started my holster business with a hundred dollars. Wow. Come Never on. Borrowed time until um, I sold, I, I did borrow a little bit on some equipment that I could have written a check for. Uh, it just made economic sense, but I started with a, with a hundred dollars in cash flow, the whole thing, all the way through tens of millions in revenue annually. So absolutely you do not need money. What you need far more than money is motivation and belief that you're as good as anybody out there belief that you can, you can go kill it and, you know, kill, kill the, the gazelle and drag it home that, that you can actually do that. And then the motivation, get off the couch and go do it. Um, I've seen internal workings as a, a business owner and CEO. I, I've met other people and, 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 uh, that are other business owners and things. And you see the internal workings and um, you realize that none of it's run by just super mad geniuses that made every decision perfect or uh, people that have skills that, that none of the rest of us have. It's not the case. It's just somebody who had a good idea, they followed through. Yeah. And maybe maybe they had three ideas and that didn't follow through, but that fourth, or that didn't work out, but that fourth one did work out. Um, so just get back on the horse over and over. Come on. Yeah. I love that so much. So good. So good. Uh, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's such an honor to have you on huge fan of alien gear holsters and what you're doing and giving back to the community. I think is really awesome. Love your leadership style. Again, truly honored to have you on my show. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Thanks, Eric. Absolutely. I love your background uh, there too, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's made from a, co- a veteran company called Combat Flags. It's one guy running that business out of his house out in North Carolina. And he did, like, I think last year donated $80,000 to veteran suicide, just, to, you know, himself just making flags and stuff. So it's pretty rad. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for checking out the show today. I really appreciate it. If it brought you any value, please leave a rating and review below. Please go subscribe to our podcast, all of our channels on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Rumble. Look, we're on all the formats. We want to continue to grow the show and continue to bring you value. So thank you for the support. I really appreciate it. Have an awesome day.